0: Today's show is sponsored by the Magnetic Cloud event on Wednesday, September 15th at 10 a.m. Pacific, hosted by Cisco Investments. Magnetic Cloud is a virtual summit for startup founders and investors. During the summit, executives from Cisco's cloud and compute business and the CEOs from Cohesity, Isovalent, TriggerMesh, and Serverless will discuss Cisco's cloud strategy and how startups can drive success with corporate partners, talk about the latest hybrid cloud and cloud-native trends and explain some of the incredible opportunities that cloud-native technologies enable. To register for this free virtual event, just go to bit.ly slash magnetic cloud. That's bit.ly slash magnetic cloud. Check out the Magnetic Cloud event on Wednesday, September 15th at 10 a.m. Pacific. Hosted by Cisco Investments.
1: Cloudcast Media presents from the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina. This is The Cloudcast with Aaron Delb and Brian Gracely, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world.
2: Good morning, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome back to The Cloudcast. We're coming to you live from the massive Cloudcast studios here in Raleigh, North Carolina. Going to jump right into Cloud News of the Week and. Cloud News of the Week is actually all about past guests this week. Um, kind of a special edition, if you will. So for our first article... Uh, the good folks over at Docker, um, they are still trying to build a company, and um, there it has been some ups and downs within the community over the years. But they have gone ahead and announced some additional uh, changes and, and additions to their business model, and it was certainly worth bringing up. Because you know, as as they note it there, a large amount of professional developers out there still use Docker on a daily basis. So what do you need to know about some of these changes? Well, first and foremost, a new tier. Was added. This is uh, Docker business, and Docker business makes perfect sense. Large enterprises, you get single sign-on, you get better control over the content and and who has access to what and what they're using, and better, you know, both observability into that and control over it as well. Then there's some other nuances as well, some real relabeling if you will. What what was Docker free is now Docker personal as well. And some of the low-end offerings are um, still very very affordable. So it is still easy to get started and get going and then grow with Docker. For our second article, our good friends over at DigitalOcean, uh, congratulations to them. And uh, we've covered a good bit of their infrastructure as a service offerings and their PaaS offerings. And they've been guests in the past as well. And they've been on a tear. Um, and it's really, really good to see them having success. And they went ahead and qu- acquired a Nimbella and They are basically going into the serverless market now. Go ahead and offer a serverless offering. And this is about a, oh gosh, if I remember correctly, two to three year old uh, startup. And it was founded by the folks that that actually created uh, Apache OpenWhisk as well. So it is good to see them continue to advance their offerings and continue to really put um, developers and their core audience first in an acquisition like this. Really looking forward to this going to market. And for our third article i um, going to talk about uh, somebody who has been on the show many times and, and also past um, sponsor of the show as well, MongoDB. MongoDB announced today they have a new uh, chief marketing officer, Peter Ulander. And if you're not familiar, familiar with Peter, um, we kind of jokingly dubbed him many years ago the most interesting man in cloud, and, and that kind of stuck for a little bit as well. And so hopefully we can get him back on the show to talk about this um, and his reasons for going. He, he was most recently at AWS, and he was at uh, VMware and Cisco and Citrix and some other companies before that, and famously had uh, cloud.com um, back in the day as well. Really looking forward to what he's going to be bringing to MongoDB. They have done very, very well here in the last few years and a really great position in the market. So I think this is a really good fit. So certainly congratulations to Peter and congratulations to everyone over at MongoDB. And with that, we're going to wrap up cloud news of the week. Right after the break, we're going to be talking to the folks over at Veeam. We're going to be talking to David and Sam about backing up into the cloud.
0: Today's show is sponsored by CloudZero. For software-driven companies focused on growing margins, CloudZero is the only cloud cost intelligence platform that puts engineering in control by connecting technical decisions to business results. By analyzing cloud services like AWS and Snowflake, Cloud Zero provides real-time cost insights that help you maximize margins. Engineering teams can answer critical questions like, who are my most expensive customers? How much does this specific feature cost our business? What's the cost impact of re-architecting this application? With cost anomaly alerts via Slack, product-specific data views, and granular engineering context that makes it easy to investigate any cost, Cloud Zero is your complete cloud cost intelligence platform, connecting the dots between high-level trends and individual line items. Join companies like Drift, Rabbit 7 and SeatGeek by visiting cloudzero.com slash cloudcast to get started today. That's cloudzero.com slash cloudcast. Today's show is sponsored by Datadog. Now with cloud security posture management, Datadog allows you to see compliance scores across your infrastructure and track conformance to industry benchmarks such as CIS and other regulatory standards, out-of-the-box cloud and infrastructure configuration rules. Datadog Cloud Security Posture Management, CSPM, performs configuration audits across cloud accounts, hosts, and containers. As a special offer for CloudCast listeners, you can sign up for a free two-week trial to see for yourself how Datadog can elevate your cloud infrastructure security posture by going to datadog.com slash security dash cloudcast. That's datadog.com security dash cloudcast. Sign up now and receive a free Datadog t-shirt. And we're back, and uh, Aaron, it's great to have you back. It's been a little bit um, today. We're gonna yeah, talk
2: about, yeah. It's good to be back
0: today. We're going to talk about something that uh, is sort of n- probably near and dear to your heart, maybe a little more so than than mine. Not that I, I don't love it, but but you've lived in this world for quite a bit. We're going to kind of we're going to dive into a little bit of, of backup and recovery and what it means in a cloud world because we're you know we, we we're now in a world where everybody's using the cloud more and more. We've got sort of weekly and daily, you know, ransomware. And so people are having to to recover things. And, and we haven't talked about this space in a while. And it's really, it's evolved a lot uh, over the last couple of years. And it's, you know, it'll be good to kind of dive into it a little bit.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And, and yeah, as you mentioned, uh, you know, have, have a background in this in the last couple years and the, you know, the backup and and restoration and and even like the rise of ransomware and malware and some of these other things. I mean, a lot has happened in this space. Um, So it's really good uh, to talk to our folks today. We have David Hill, uh, Product Strategy and Office of the CTO, and Sam Nichols, Public Cloud Principal from Veeam with us. Um, so, gentlemen, why don't we just kind of start at the start? Tell us both a little bit about your backgrounds briefly, and and David, why don't you uh, start us off?
3: Yeah, so thanks for having us on, guys. Um, I'm really looking forward to do, talking today. But yeah, my background, um, I've been at Veeam for about three years, and I focus on cloud-native technology, so big focus on Veeam's public cloud strategy around AWS, Azure, GCP, and also a lot of the cloud-native technologies like Kubernetes and containers. But before I joined Veeam, um, I spent eight years at VMware, where I originally joined a team called the Cloud Practice, which was set up in the pre-GA days of vCloud Director, essentially trying to help service providers figure out what what a cloud was back in those days. I feel like I'm going back quite a long time now and showing my age. But then while I was at VMware as well, I also became like the lead evangelist for vCloud Air, which was in the day, a phenomenal public cloud service for essentially VMware's vSphere customers. So I've got a big background in the cloud over the past 10, 12 years working with VMware and Veeam and also the, the big public cloud providers.
0: Yeah, that's excellent. Sam, what about you? What's uh, What uh, What was your background prior to Veeam and what, uh, what keeps you busy and focused these days?
1: Yeah, prior to Veeam, uh, I was I was working for a storage vendor, really taking care of multiple vertical markets. I guess uh, looking after media entertainment, digital video surveillance, high performance computing, healthcare. But one of my other responsibilities was, I guess, a horizontal, which was around backup and recovery, uh, managing some technical alliances. And one of those was was Veeam, and that eventually brokered my my transition over to Veeam. I guess so. I've been like David here for uh, almost six years now and really worked on every product that we have within our portfolio you know when i joined we were strictly a backup and recovery company for vmware VSphere, and microsoft hyper-v and in that six years we've added a multitude of products and a number of those really focus on cloud so you know the ability to backup and recover to object storage within the cloud the ability to help our customers leverage the cloud as a disaster recovery and migration target, and then more recently the ability to nati- natively protect workloads in the cloud. So, namely, AWS, Azure, Google Cloud platform, uh, and those are my primary responsibilities today. Yeah, No, That's, nice.
0: that's great. I, you know, I think we're we're always looking for you know transitional. We, 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 Aaron and I always said, look, we we want to kind of focus on two things. One is what are areas of transition, and number two, when we identify them, let's let's go find just you know experts in this space and kind of pick your brains and, and so forth. So it's great to have you guys on. Veeam's been growing like crazy, and like you guys said, that the transition from being focused on virtualized environments to cloud environments has been you know something that you know is mainstream to every company in the market. So I want to I want to kind of before we dive into too too much stuff, I want to kind of talk big picture. Um, you know, like I said in the in the in the opening, like we now live in a world that that everything's software. Uh, you know, usage of the public cloud is is sort of mainstream for for like every company. We're no longer kind of like, ah, I don't trust it. I don't know if I want to use it. Um, and then we're seeing, you know, the need to not only you know keep track of data, maintain data, but then be able to deal with this sort of new world of. Of ransomware and attacks where being able to get data back you know that hasn't been locked up and so forth is so critical like give us a sense um, David what's what is the big picture of, of how you guys think about this new world where um, you've got to be in the cloud you've got to be delivering you know the capabilities via software that's that's flexible between on-prem and in the cloud and then you know the kind of the, the big challenges and threats that that companies are dealing with in terms of managing their data and the life cycle of it
3: yeah, you, you you touch on some good points there. And when we, from a Veeam perspective, what what we're finding now is so many people are kind of living in this multi-cloud world, where not through choice but more through requirements, where they have some on-prem solutions. You know, vSphere obviously, vSphere is a big piece of the puzzle running on-prem but then they're also leveraging different cloud providers for different services. So whether it's people tend to think when we talk about the cloud as well, it's like, oh, I'm running some VMs out in a public cloud, but the cloud has changed so much where it's actually different services with platform as a service and software as a service. So what we're finding is a lot of customers now, uh, as I mentioned, they have their on-prem solutions with VCR, but then they're, they're working with Microsoft with Office 365. They're working with AWS with EC2 and RDS. They're doing some stuff in GCP around BigQuery, because all the different cloud providers have different capabilities. And it's not just a one size fits all kind of package from these providers. And the consequence of that is that's a real challenge when you have all these different platforms and all these different services spread essentially across the world that you need to manage, you need to protect, and you you essentially need to monitor. So from a Veeam perspective, we've looked at this and said, right, okay, how do we look at this and help our customers manage all this data that's scattered throughout all these different platforms across all these different providers? And, That's what Veeam focuses on, is providing this centralized data management platform. But we do it in a modular approach. So if you're just a kind of born-in-the-cloud customer and you're running some workloads in AWS and you have Office 365, all our products are built from a modular perspective. So you can just go and essentially protect your AWS workloads, protect your Office 365 workloads. But if you're also leveraging other platforms like Microsoft Azure, you can bolt on a product from Microsoft Azure, for example, with being backup for Microsoft Azure. And then when you bring it all in and you grow and you have all these on-premises solutions, that centralized data management, you can incorporate all our modular products into one centralized platform to manage your data across all these different platforms. so it's different approaches for different customers that we see. And then from a kind of challenge perspective now, you know ransomware is just a massive thing nowadays. We see it all the time. Uh, pretty much every time you turn the news on now, some company or utility service or something has been hit by a ransomware attack. So we're putting a big focus on how we can help customers protect themselves from a ransomware perspective. Sam, anything you want to kind of talk about around that as well? So I don't hog the limelight.
1: Yeah, that's yeah. You're right, David. Um I think you covered it exceptionally well. Really, just looking at how heterogeneous people's environments are now today. I mean, we can look at any number of research that's out there, you know, that ranges upwards of, you know, 94% of organizations have this hybrid cloud approach, whether they are mixing their on-premises data center and, and a single public cloud or an on-premises data center and multiple public clouds. And, you know, ultimately really hit the nail on the head. How we protect a physical machine is very different to how we protect a virtual machine, how we protect virtual machines in the cloud or, or you know databases in the cloud are very, very different to, to how we would protect those on-premises. We ultimately have different tool sets and technologies available to us, and an organization's approach is typically multiple products from multiple disparate vendors to to protect this heterogeneous environment, and that can absolutely become a, a nightmare to manage. And it also locks data into those, those specific platforms. So we look at, at Veeam's MO, I guess, and that is to provide a common control plane with a common policy model for wherever your data lives and also provide the tool set to help you move that data across the different environments as your organization's strategy changes, right? Because it's not just one day we're not in the cloud and the next day we are. It's, uh, it's a transition that takes time so ultimately just being able to have this platform that flexes and adapts to to what those needs are today and what they might be tomorrow
2: yeah and and sam you you touched on probably the biggest need you know i personally have have seen as we've kind of grown from hey what is the public cloud into okay we need to use public cloud but i still need on premises And then that ultimately turns into this hybrid and multi-cloud, you know, kind of world. But then I've got data here, I've got data there, I've got data everywhere. So you need this, I'll I'll just use the term, you know, go back to VMware, early day virtualization, you know, technology of you need an abstraction layer. And that's where this whole concept of, and you use the term platform, um, you know, data platform. Um, and, And so it's a necessary next step to kind of get all the data in the data platform. But also, I would say another trend there is is everything is increasingly both software driven, but DevOps centric as well. So now, who owns all of these elements? Because you have different groups, you have different organizations, you have testing plans, you have compliance, you have all of these other variables now. How does that kind of shake out, you know, theory versus reality? So I
1: think my parents always used to tell me that history has a tendency to repeat, themsel- repeat itself, and that's why you should be interested in history. I was never much a history buff, but I think, you know, it, it really plays well into into what we're seeing right now. So if we have a look at what happened when virtualization was coming about, you know, 15 years ago or so, it was this, you know, weird thing on the fringe of the data center and you had, your, your traditional you know, data center admin, backup admin, who was responsible for backing up what would be considered traditional workloads at that time, right? Mainframe, physical servers. And then you had the VM admin that was off doing his own thing, but he was the one that was responsible for backing up those virtual machines. And that's the, the market that Veeam essentially pioneered. But, you know, as the last decade and a half is, has gone on, that has become more and more centralized to the point where that traditional backup admin is responsible for, you know, any existing mainframe, physical servers, virtualization. And we're seeing it happen again with the cloud, right? So we have these cloud architects, these developers, DevOps, uh, personas, users that are in the cloud. And it's kind of seen as that weird thing out on the fringe, and they're the ones that are responsible for it. But we're already seeing that start to become centralized. Um, You know, the cloud isn't new. It's not weird. 40% of organizations have had production workloads running there for the last two years. So we're seeing that centralization come, you know, back to the backup admin, where again, they they have that need for that holistic view into the entirety of their organization's environment and be able to protect that data wherever it is. But you know, ultimately, still about forty percent of folks um, or forty percent of of organizations still put that onus of backup and recovery on on the cloud admin, the cloud architect, the developer. And I think you know, backup ultimately isn't there. Nine to five job, right? They are focused on, you know, developing new code, bringing new software to uh, to the organization. Backup is is almost like uh, an afterthought for them, and we want to make you know a, a backup solution as simple as possible for them. You know, we hear the term "set and forget" it. That's ultimately what we want, right? Here is the software. Create your policy, and you ultimately shouldn't have to touch it again until you get
0: around to a recovery or restore point. Yeah. Yeah. And w- w- go, ahead. go ahead, Brian. No, I was going to say I, I, I had I had something queued up, and, and Sam mentioned the word simple. I, I was going to throw it over to David. Like, what are some of those things that that Veeam does to make things simpler for people? Like, what uh, you know, feature wise, just architecture wise. Like, how do you make it simpler? Because again, you know, the cloud is uh, it is somewhat of a different environment if you were the you know, the the backup admin in a VMware world, like what can you do to make it simpler for them or what have you done over time to make it simpler?
3: Yeah, and that's a great point, actually, when you you think about how, if you look at people's backgrounds and where they're moving to and what they're having to deal with now with all these different technologies and platforms. And what Veeam does is um, essentially just brings a simple UI, Um, We do all the, essentially, orchestration in the back end, but we just present it in a very simple, easy-to-use manner. So for any kind of vSphere admin who's now having to deal with like public clouds and Kubernetes and all these other platforms, most vSphere admins have at some point come across Veeam Backup and Replication, whether they're using it now, they've used it in a previous job, The user interface is very common and with the invention of all these different public cloud platforms, all our products can be easily deployed from the marketplace, but they can also be managed from Veeam backup and replication. So when you think about that kind of, and I've talked about it for years about how you have a kind of set of tools and a set of skills that people want to transfer, but training on all these new platforms all the time becomes a challenge. So being able to use those existing tool sets, so the example is Veeam Backup and Replication and that common user interface, to then manage all these different platforms makes it very easy for those who are coming from like a vSphere background an on-premises background. Because even if they've not used Veeam before, the terminology that is used is very common throughout the industry. You know, things like backup repositories and like scale-out backup repositories and off-site repositories and backup jobs and backup policies. So the terminology that Veeam uses is very common. So even if people aren't a Veeam customer and they're they're new to Veeam, but they're, say, like a vSphere kind of guru, they've been around a while, they'll understand what they're doing. And we bring that to the cloud as well when we're setting up our policies and implementing our solutions out there because just that terminology makes it very important. And from a feature set as well, it's just, as Sam kind of said, set it and forget until you need to do a recovery. So we do things like cost estimators in our backup policy. So when you go and create a backup policy to go and protect like an AWS EC2 instance or an RDS instance, and you create, say you've got five instances in there and they're all in London and you want to copy the data and store it in some object storage repositories out in Oregon. Now, from a cloud perspective, that can get quite expensive because obviously AWS isn't a charity. They charge you for pretty much everything that you do and moving your data out of regions can get expensive pretty quickly. So in our cost estimators, we'll actually show you how much this backup policy you're creating will cost you based on AWS or Azure list prices and how much it will cost you per month. So if you see a load of network traffic costs, you can look at that, and maybe you don't understand how the cloud works and you weren't aware that there was all these costs involved moving data between regions, but we tell you about it and we point that out and help you understand what it is you're doing. And I think, I think that's very powerful now across all these different platforms because the terminology they use, the the ways that they do things change across platforms as well as across all the different vendors.
2: And so so to kind of even expand on it just a little bit further as well, one of the big trends I see too is, that, yeah, okay, there's this trend towards simplicity, but what are we trying to simplify? Well, obviously you know, disaster recovery and, and backup, which we're talking about, but also security, right? And why? Because those are the things that often are, They're afterthoughts, first of all. And they're they're also one of the last things done because they they tend to be hard. Um, And you know, we used to live in this world of uh, redundant data centers, redundant hardware, so we can spin everything back up. And, you know, like the old um, disaster recovery rules of like three, two, one, right? Three copies of the data, two on-site, one off-site kind of thing. And and what cloud really did for us is it removed that, that you know, need for a bunch of tapes in Iron Mountain and a bunch of manual steps and a run book and all of these other things. And, and also, to kind of bring ransomware and malware into this as a trend, it wasn't good enough from a recovery standpoint, just the time to recover. You know, I, I back in my enterprise data center days, you know, I, I had clients who they were like, okay, if we can flip over the disaster recovery and the run books in like, I don't know, eight hours to 24 hours, that was like really successful. But now we're into like, you know, you know, recovery measured in minutes to hours now is the new standard. And we want to store everything, you know, in public cloud instead of these redundant data centers. So a lot of transformation here uh, has happened. And I guess probably, Sam, this might be a question more for you. Um, What has this kind of intersection of everything I just said with both public cloud, but also automation, what has that really done to the backup landscape and the recovery landscape?
1: It's it's a it's a pretty difficult question actually. I I, I think that uh, you, you know the people people built these additional data centers like you say as a you know a disaster recovery site and it kind of just sat there idle for you know days weeks months without doing anything just receiving replicas or receiving backups you know when and if a disaster were to ever happen and Veeam kind of realized that even before the, the, the the public cloud era taking off where we allowed you to take those that, that production-fresh data stored in your backups and stored in your replicas on this idle secondary site and, and put it to use, right? Whether that's for troubleshooting, for dev test, for, you know, testing recoverability. And we, we took those that mantra and also enabled it with the public cloud. So now you can also, you know, take that production-fresh data stored in your backups and spin them up in the public cloud with just a couple of clicks And now, all of a sudden, you've got this, again, great dev test environment um, and all these other options for secondary use cases or reuse of your data in, in the public cloud. So, again, it's... You know for Veeam like we we enable that no matter what your strategy is, whether you have that secondary site or whether you're using the public cloud, but ultimately just being able to extract as much data out or value out of your data as you possibly c- can with no prescriptive approach from Veeam on what you should do uh, you know no no favors of you know one public cloud over the other or whether you know a secondary data center is better than than the public cloud.
0: No, it's it, that that like you said at the beginning, you know that that multi cloud sort of reality for for so many customers is is critical. Um, I want to ask you guys one last question, and uh, you know either one of you chime in because I know you both get a chance to to talk to a lot of companies and and see how they go about um, you know managing their environments, uh, introducing new technologies. Like how how have the economics changed, right? So now that that the public cloud's available to them. Uh, it's got on-demand natures. It's got, you know, locality that can that can be in a lot of different places. Like, what, what have you seen from an economics perspective? I know you talked about some of the tooling that's available to give people kind of an economic, you know, a, a dollar heads up as to what's going on. But just in terms of, um, you know, are they saving data at a better pace that makes it easier for their business? Are, they, are we seeing faster recoveries? Are we seeing different agility in the business like what are some of the other kind of ways that uh you know the economics are starting to change now that the public cloud becomes uh, another part of the you know the portfolio becomes an option to, to take advantage of
3: yeah um i've seen both sides of the coin with this actually um you know some some companies get a really good handle on the the, the cloud economics and Very quickly, they implement like budgets and cost centers and are able to manage this kind of different model of doing things. Because ultimately, when you switch to the cloud, the pay-as-you-go nature of it changes your whole expenditure model from a capital expenditure that we've all kind of grown up with out in the data center to this more operational expenditure where you're just paying as you use. And it's great from a kind of simplistic approach of well we don't need to go spend hundreds of thousands of dollars to implement these solutions before we even start but the problem is a lot of people don't look at the actual costs of it anymore they're just like right I need a thousand EC2 instances I don't really I need as big as I can possibly get and they'll go and create these and the next thing you know you're hit with a million dollar bill from AWS and you're CFO of the enterprise is sat there going, holy crap, what's happened here? This, this, this is way out of our budget, but nobody expected it. And that's been kind of the, that's the biggest challenge that even small, medium, large businesses are finding now is understanding this actual operational expenditure shift of how we go from, this is our budget that we implement over the past five years to this is what we're going to do now and just pay for it as we need it. And trying to implement that kind of transformation is where I think financial people start getting brought into conversations that they've never been brought in before. You know, most of us in the past working in IT have all looked at things and gone, right, okay, 10 servers are gonna cost us X, we need, two switches for this, we need a rack, we need X, Y, and Z. And it was very easy for just your standard IT guy to just go to his manager and say, right, this is what we need to implement it. Now, from an architecture perspective, we already touched on security as well. There's charges for everything that we never maybe thought about in the past. So trying to understand that shift and implement that shift is probably the biggest challenge that we're seeing change out with this whole new kind of cloud model
1: i think it's you know it's a great point trying to look at the economics of this and as some organizations start to realize the cost of cloud and what that is as a percentage of their cost of revenue right um you know there's 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 this huge push towards digital transformation and cloud acceleration and you know i'm not trying to say that cloud acceleration isn't critical to that it absolutely is but i think that we sometimes we see a little bit of an over rotation where folks are taking these on premises workloads and pushing them to the cloud and then eventually find out that from an economics and cost perspective it actually makes sense to have run it on premises and you know on the flip side you know the cloud becoming the de facto standard for developing and launching new applications but as they mature and they scale and grow in size, the the economics actually might favour running that application on premises. So we start to to see this patriational repatriation back on premises, and uh, you know it's it's kind of, a, I guess, a little bit antithetical to this whole cloud acceleration piece. But again, there's the, the cloud has its time and its place, and it's wonderful for a lot of things, but there's still s- some components of modern IT that, that still make sense to run in a data center. I think that we'll just continue to see that evolve and find this equilibrium of you know, hybrid and multi-cloud where you know, everyone's environments is mixed um, eventually uh and and again theme theme can help with that we have that non-prescriptive approach we'll help you get your data into the cloud we'll help you protect your data in the cloud and if you ever want to put it somewhere other than the cloud or into a different cloud we we can absolutely help you do that too
0: yeah no that's that's fantastic the portability uh you know, possibilities are, are are really important, guys. I wanna I wanna thank you both so much for for the insights today. It's been it's been good to dig into this and and really, uh, like we said at the beginning, to kind of dig into your expertise as as this market has changed. Um, you know, for those folks listening, we put a number of links uh, in the show notes uh, around you know the work that uh, that Veem's been doing uh you know both in the cloud but also some offers uh, some free offers that you can take advantage of to uh to trial out the technology see if it makes sense for you and so forth so those are all in the show notes um guys if folks want to reach out to you it's you know it's harder these days obviously because trade shows aren't as in person but if folks want to pick your brain about stuff are there good ways to to get in touch whether it's on twitter or other places I can give you David's cell phone number if you want. <laughs> you can put it in the notes. <laughs>
3: yeah, it's now redirected back to you, Sam. So. But um, <laughs> yeah, I'm always on Twitter. I've been around on Twitter for years. Um, my my Twitter handle actually matches my uh, blog as well. So it's just DavidHill underscore co. If you want to reach out on, on Twitter to me. Sam's not really down with his modern social media stuff. So he's not on Twitter. So and uh, if you've got any questions for Sam, tweet me and I'll email him and then uh, he can get back to you somehow. Yeah. He's the,
1: Alternative, yeah. you could find me on LinkedIn. You can find me on LinkedIn, message me on LinkedIn, happy to help out there. He's the,
0: he's the <laughs> introverted techie. That's okay. Guys, thank you so much yeah, for yeah, that.
1: Yeah, no Facebook, no Twitter,
0: no TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> well guys, as I mentioned, thank you so much for, for the insight and for, for kind of you know educating us and, and educating the audience. Aaron, you want to take us home, wrap it up?
2: yeah absolutely so so david and sam thank you very much for your time this week and excuse me thank you to everyone listening um and please 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 um if you enjoy the show please tell a friend leave us a review and uh that will wrap it up for this week and hopefully we'll talk to everyone next week thank
1: you for listening to the cloudcast please visit thecloudcast.net to find more shows show notes videos and everything social media